Welcome to the It's All About Relationships podcast with Dr. Marty Folsom, looking at relationships with God, others, and ourselves. Today's episode, which is episode 11, is specifically asking about the question, what does it mean to be a person? If you want to read a little bit more on this, chapter 4 in my Face-to-Face Volume 1 book really asks a bit about this. So, when we ask what it means to be a person, it's most natural to look at other human beings because we think human and person kind of go together. And generally, when I sit with students and uh, people in audiences and say, what do you think it means to be a person? We almost always begin by looking at humans. And we can do that, though there may be some limitations with that. But when we look at humans in person, we see the persons have a body, which is an object. And so if you want to count the persons in the room, you can just count the bodies in the room, and they may be alive or not. Um, if you're in a morgue, you may have a bunch of bodies, but the question, are they persons, is just an interesting question we're not going to unpack now. But bodies generally we think are complex, fleshly beings that are not like other animals and they're not like a rock. And generally, persons have the capacity to think, which means to observe the world and to reflect on it. And I think with persons, we often also think that the word person and individual, I am an individual, I am a person, are basically meaning the same thing. In an individual, you have a sense of, I am in my body. I have a brain inside my head, and my brain inside my head processes all this stuff that's going on outside of me, but I am the inside being that's looking at this outside world. I am a subject over against the world that is object, and that is the subject, object, distinction that kind of sets us up to be separate from the world. So to say part of my problem with with the whole sense of what we're talking about here is that we are really not separate from the world, we're participating in the world, and even our thinking is a participation in the world rather than a separation from the world. So that's going to set up all kinds of differences right there. But basically, I think we have a sense that I feel like I'm a computer with a data processing system in me and I process the world, but I am like a computer, a separate unit from the world. Now another part about beyond just being a material being is that we have this biological sense. We start as little babies and we grow up to be adults. We are bigger, sometimes bigger than we want to be. And we know that at this point we would say, now you're mature, which means that One of the things that distinguishes biological being from mere material being is a rock is pretty much a rock its whole life, but a a tree starts as a seed and it grows to a point where you call it a mature tree. And a human being grows to what we call a mature human being. So biological things have a process of becoming something that we can call mature. And it interacts with the world so that the nature of a tree is it needs water and sunshine and all kinds of things to grow into what it might become. So obviously as persons we have a biological dimension and there are some scientists who would like to say that's it Um, and on Valentine's Day you get a bunch of stories about the chemical nature of what goes in our body and they say love is nothing but the interaction of chemical ways of being in our body and love is really nothing more than that. But beyond that, there's a third level, which I'd say if the first level is the level of the material, the second is the level of the biological, the third level is what I call the level of the personal. And that is to say, as persons, we have brains and thoughts, but they are 
able to interact with other brains and other people. It may be thought inside of us, but we're thinking about what is outside of us. And when we say to somebody, hey, what's going on in your head right now? And they use words, they actually are giving us access to someone else. And when I find out that what they're thinking is, I really like you, I change as a person because now I know this person likes me. And so I'm able to reorient who I am as a person within the dynamic of relatedness to the other. So then I have the possibility to have an intention of responding and saying, well, I like you too. So there's this ability to be true to another person, to respond to them, to interact with them in a way that I want to suggest informs the nature of being persons. Now, animals have the ability to have intentions and actions. When a lion goes after its prey, it's hungry. And its interaction is not particularly interactive. He does not become friend with that antelope. He eats it. So there are what are called social animals. Some of the higher mammals are social, but they don't have the ability to record their history or to create computers or to create the kind of world that humans have because our reflective ability, our ability to love and to, as social creatures, to go beyond um, is has been significant, even though we're, like, I think, 98% in our genes the same as the higher um, apes. And yet there's something about us that, as persons, makes us different. And that's really where I want to go today. So the word anthropology, anthropos, means humans, study of humans. And you can study the study of the physical development of human beings over the millions of years. You can study the development of cultures and the way people started to form together in the way they lived together and were able to farm the land or to hunt together. Um, the nature of the development of humanity, of what we call civilization, the broad story of humanity, is something that these are all issues of anthropology. They're descriptive fields that look at the human. So when I do anthropology, I'm what is called a theological anthropologist. So you put the word theological, that means that our starting place isn't just looking at the human, but it's looking at the one who I would suggest claims to have formed what it means to be humans. And in fact, there is one human who lives the fullness of what it means to be humans, um, and that is the person of Jesus. So when you look at Jesus, you see somebody who has no fear. He's able to love people in all states of life. All that he does is a life of serving and giving and caring. And so to say Jesus gives us a picture of what it means both to be God as one who loves unconditionally, who comes and is with us and for us, but also what it means to be fully human. That is to have a life that is fully lived for the other in caring and giving. Now, Jesus had these 12 disciples who weren't particularly sharp, but at the end he gave them a simple test question, especially Peter. He says, who do you say that I am? So this is a question about the personal. Peter's answer is, First of all, he says, well, some people say, and they start, he put him into categories, you're a prophet, or you're somebody who's a great teacher. Uh, he says, yeah, those are just categories. Who do you say that I am? Which is what the person really does. It's one person acknowledging who another person is. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So you are the Christ. Christ was the Messiah, the one who's been waiting. So to say the Jews were waiting for a day where somebody would come who would release them from their captivity and would fulfill who they were as a people, and you are the son of the living God, to say who you are is in relationship to the one you call Father. 
So here we have Peter giving an answer that is profoundly relational about who Jesus is. So I want to suggest that this opens up for us a sense that theological anthropology says that who we are is beings in relation. Beings, that means that we have a being, we are here, we are present, we exist. And that existence isn't separate from one another or from the world. It's in relation to one another and relation to the world. So I'd suggest we live in a network of relations. We are connected with people who we love and know. And even the people who we don't like and avoid, that is part of the network of relations too. It shapes who we stay away from. So this web of relatedness then is the place within which we are located as particular people who aren't individuals separate from it, but particular in the way that we live and love and act within it. So we are still material. You have a body. You are made of stuff. You are still biological. You grow up um, in your eating and your growing and your exercising. All those things cause your biological nature to grow. But you are also this third level, the personal. You are an interactive human being with others and with the world in a way that if you didn't do that, you would be inhuman. So we are generally blind to this dimension of the way that we are connected. We often are encouraged to be self-sufficient, to be an individual. Some people then say, I need to get away from all these people and find myself. Well, I want to suggest that we find ourselves in the nature of how we become open to and connected to the people who are around us. This doesn't mean that we aren't still self-reflective. We do need to reflect, but we take a moment to think in our head about the way we're going to come back and play with the others, the way that we are going to not just think about others, but actually interact with others. So in Simon and Garfunkel's song, I am a rock, I am an island, there is this sense that when we become disconnected with being a real person, we feel that we need to be isolated. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielding my armor. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock. I am an island. All these words paint to the tragedy of personhood. And so to grow personally is to grow out of being a rock, to grow in experiencing the world, to connect with others. As Brene Brown says, the very state of what it means to be whole as persons is to truly be connected in positive ways with others. And we are aiming for personal maturity, not just in and of ourselves or by ourselves, but it's the nature of how we connect, how we learn to collaborate with others and to make agreements with others, how we learn to have a sense of mutuality and serving each other. And all that is to say how we learn to love each other where the fear of what they'll think or if we are vulnerable, what they're going to do to us is set aside so that we don't wear masks or build walls to protect us, but that we become what family systems therapists call differentiated. I can be me and you can be you and we will live separate together. I'll let you be you and if I'll ask you to let me be me, but we'll do that together. We'll accept each other as friends. Friends are those who know us, know that we're not like them, but accept us just the way that they are. So there was a time in history, not so long ago, in fact, my parents' generation, where everyone lived by roles. Roles were culturally defined ways of being human that looked like they were being personal. You were a husband, you were a wife, you were a boss, you were an employee. 
but they were loaded with expectations that the culture downloaded and you either fit in or you were rejected. It was rigid and people largely felt disempowered to really be persons. But I think we're entering an age of relationships where it's not just about you, it's about how we work together. And the possibility of forming agreements means we need to have conversations. We need to talk about what's going to work for both of us. This allows for two people or more to grow together, to find ways that the words friendship and support and partners are much more the nature of what's going on than boss, employee, or authority and those who have to submit. This requires flexibility. I love the idea, blessed are the flexible, for they shall bend and not be broken. And that's what I think the age of relationships is inviting us into. So there was a point in the past where I was married and the day came where my first wife asked for a divorce. It was a storm that came from nowhere and so I had to really ask how have I been operating in relationships. And I'd have to say that there was a lot of gift in that time. It revealed the structures of the way that I was functioning where I had in my head a lot about fear and love but I also had a certain relational blindness. One of these is because I really thought I was supposed to be a good boy. And you know what good boys do? They never complain. They don't really have the ability to show up and talk about what's going on. And so I tried to be good on the outside, but I had frustration on the inside. And so at the point where the divorce was approaching, I wrote a poem called The Cry of the Screaming Soul, which if you like that, it's in, if you'd like to hear it, it's in book three of my face-to-face -face series. Because I recognized that there were just things in life that were really out of control inside that I didn't have words, I didn't have the ability to bring those things out. Which if you're not able to speak about those things, you end up fractured in your relationship. A therapist that I sat with at that point one day when I read that poem said, you know what, you're just like a golden retriever. You look beautiful on the outside, smiling and happy, but inside I can see something is dying in you. That is a disconnected life. That is a hiding. So what I'm looking for in this whole journey with you is to recognize that many of us live with a screaming soul inside, disconnected, and we miss what it means to really have a relationship. So I'm inviting you here today to say when we begin the quest for the personal, it can't be just about you looking inside you. It has to be about who am I as I relate to God to other people around me and the way I accept and love myself for who I am in a way that's able to bring that out. The quest for the personal is an amazing journey and we have so much to learn about it. Thanks for joining me today in this journey, this path to discovery. It's all there, but we may be blind to it. If you haven't had a chance yet, go check out drmartyfolsom.com and see more of what's going on. There's some videos there too. You can watch me live on stage in the relational speaker section. So thanks for being with us today. Bye-bye.